0: So good to see each and every one of you, and online we welcome you today. Uh, I like to slow this moment down just to just say it is a sacred moment that God has chosen to gather us together. So we want to honor this moment with God's word, and if you would turn your attention to Luke chapter 4, or we'll have some verses on the screen for you, verse number 1. These next two weeks, I want to make them more of it. Equipping with the word. So we're going to get in everybody's business today. Is that okay? All right. Well, I hope it is. You're here. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish." Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject, overcoming temptation. And I know y'all have them, come on. Because the Bible says there's no temptation that's not common to man. So whatever you're being tempted with in this season... Uh, you can look around and know that there's a bunch of other humans in the house today. And online, even though you're virtual, we know you got flesh and bones. Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We ask that you minister, empower, and equip. Help us by your spirit to overcome the works of the enemy and to overcome temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody sit. You can be seated today. Um, temptation is common to man. In fact, there's three main categories that we all experience, and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Those are the temptations that happen in the garden, and those are the temptations that Jesus faces, and those are the temptations that each and every one who is under the sound of my voice, are facing, will face, have faced at some point in your life. And today, I want to give five truths on how to overcome temptation. Are you guys ready? You ain't ready. Okay. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I thought I was going to get filled with the Holy Spirit and no longer have to deal with the flesh. That is not true. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. The consistency and persistency of the devil is daily. So you got to wake up with the whole armor of God you got to wake up ready because the devil doesn't take days off and he's out for your soul. Where For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them was very hungry. Number one on how to overcome temptation, I want you to remember this. Temptation is not a sin Woo! until it becomes a choice. Temptation is not a sin until it becomes a choice. I'm I'm glad that the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, was tempted. Because it lets me know that Jesus was sinless and uh, and in his sinlessness, that he faced temptation. And just because he had temptation and just because he had an appetite and just because he was hungry and just because things were presented to him... Doesn't mean he was in sin. And I'm so glad that every temptation I have is not a sin. Can I get one witness in this too holy house? Um, I'm married for the second time. And so you guys don't judge me. I'm a widower. My first wife, uh, I was married for seven years. And Chrissa, my lovely wife, I'm married for almost nine years. And I have never cheated on my wives. I'm not trying to condemn anybody else. Maybe that's not your testimony, but if you can get somebody who's faithful to their wife, let's just go ahead and celebrate that for one second. I've never been inappropriate in my covenantal relationship with other women. I never sent crazy texts. I never uh, do anything but a side hug. I'm friendly, but I try not to be flirty. I don't play footsies. I don't wink at you crazy. Nobody here has any accusation against me and nobody online has any accusation against me. And so just let me stop and give a praise break to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All the women are like, yeah. The men are like, what a jerk. I say that all to say this. Just because I have not doesn't mean I haven't been tempted to. Just because I have not been unfaithful doesn't mean I haven't been presented opportunities to be unfaithful. Just because I haven't done it doesn't mean that when I've seen certain billboards, I'm like, woo, girl, look at that. And there have been some bad days where I even saw Martha Stewart on Sports Illustrated, 80 years old. I am like, dang, Martha... 80 years old, Martha working it. Give it up for Martha. (laughs) Amen. I say this to say it might sound like I'm putting confidence in the flesh, but the Bible says to put no confidence in your flesh. And one of the secrets of not letting temptation lead you to the wrong decisions is not being overconfident in your flesh. I have no confidence in the flesh. I am a red-blooded human male, act like a dog sometimes, driven by uh, holiness, but also horniness sometimes. Is this the wrong church? Let somebody say amen. I hope the kids are in the sanctuary. You not allowed to say that in church? It's all right. Okay. Bring that up. So this is what temptation wants to do. Temptation... Temptation wants you to partner with shame like you did the sin before you did it. And then shame puts you in secrecy and shame weakens your authority so that you cave to the point that you actually commit the sin and you're too weak to make the right decisions before you even done the sin. Shame wants a partnership. Recently, I got a belt promotion and I want to say super. Humble about that right now. You know, I don't want to brag or anything. Jiu-jitsu for life. And uh, I've been training for a long time. Give me the belt. Give me the belt. I've been training for a long time. And I asked the professor, I said, hey, what's it going to take to get a belt promotion? And he says, you have to put on the gi because it doesn't matter how long you've trained in your other outfits. There are details to the gi and the belt goes with the gi. It doesn't go with any other outfit. I want you to know today, if you want to get promoted in the kingdom, you have to put on the righteousness of God. You don't get promoted in the kingdom by self-righteousness. You don't get promoted in the kingdom by your own good works. You get promoted in the kingdom when you put on the righteousness of God. And it doesn't mean they ain't going to beat you up and put bruises on your forehead for Sunday morning service. And it doesn't mean you won't be tested. And it doesn't mean there won't be commitment and consistency in a battle. But you're going to get promoted when you walk in the righteousness of God. And you say, how do I overcome temptation? Well, let's start first with it's not by might nor by power but by his spirit. And I need the righteousness of God because my righteousness is as filthy rags. If you want to be promoted in the kingdom and overcome temptation, don't do it on your own. There's still tests when you're in the righteousness of God. But at least I'm in the kingdom and I'm covered by the righteousness of God. Let me quit bragging on myself right now. I felt pride come over me because they're getting jealous in this house. They told me, cover up that bruise. I said, men, don't cover up their trophies. Come on, give God praise. Amen. Amen. Temptation is not a sin until it becomes a choice. What are you partnering with? Don't partner with shame. Partner with Christ's righteousness. Because Christ's righteousness is what gives you the ability to overcome every sinful decision that the enemy wants you to make to destroy your relationships. Let the church say Amen. amen. Number two, confess your temptation... So you won't need to confess your sins. Confess your temptation so you won't need to confess your sins. Luke chapter 4 verse 13 says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. Now I know I got up on a stage and said how faithful I am to my wife and all that but I'm also very aware of the weakness of my flesh, the weakness of my mere humanity, and I know the devil heard it just as good as you did, and I know he's going to wait for a more opportune time. He's like, I can't get you Sunday morning on the stage, but I can get you when you're discouraged. I can get you when you're weak. I can get you under pressure. So the enemy works at opportune times. So where you're strong today because your marriage is happy and where you're strong today the enemy will wait that one out and he'll drop a seed in your life to come collect a harvest in the next season. And he'll wait even as a teenager, he'll come place seeds in that teenage heart, but he'll come get a harvest when you're 30, 40, and 50 years old so you still can't be in a functional relationship because he has a harvest from a seed that got conceived and gave birth to sin. The enemy is patient, waiting for an opportune time to find you in the perfect moment, the perfect weakness, the perfect opportunity. And so this is what I say to that. Learn to confess your temptation before you have to confess your mistake. This is what that means. I'm going to give an example. Somebody from work, you're both on the same freeway and you're driving and that person cuts you off. And your children were in the car. And you know they have a little problem with you at work. So you know they meant to do this. How dare this person put your children in jeopardy. They were trying to kill your children by cutting you off. Don't you like how you work it up? And then you, get, you call somebody like, yeah, they came after me. And I knew they looked at me sideways at work. And then they cut me off. They tried to run me off the road because they didn't want my kids to live. You're like, wow, Okay. Just forgot to put the blinker on, bud. But... And then it turns into, you know what, I can't let this happen because if I let them step on me once, it's going to happen again and they're going to keep stepping on me until I step up to them. They're not going to step on me because I'm going to step up to them. And it's time for me to address this. I'm going to murder them. Whoa, that escalated really quick, bud. I'm gonna murder them. So you know what you should do? You should take that confession of murdering them and you should find a trusted source and individual and begin to confess the temptation of murder. And this is what the confession looks like. This person tried to kill my kids and I will not be disrespected. I am going to murder them. This is what a good friend does. Awesome, how are you planning to murder them? I was just gonna run them over when I saw them in the parking lot at work. Perfect. Do you have insurance on your car because when you hit them, it might injure your car also. Yes, I have Geico. I saved like 10% or more after switching. (laughs) After you hit them and they messed up your bumper, when you call Geico, what are you going to tell them happened? You know what, I'm not going to report this one to Geico. I'm going to cover it myself. That's worth the investment to murder the person who tried to murder my kids. I'm just going to pay for the car myself. But what if there's evidence on the car, well, I'm going to take it to a chop shop so they can get rid of it. What if you take it to the chop shop and the guys at FBI inform it. And he catches you with blood and now there's DNA samples and now they show up to your house and they're like, hey man, you murdered someone and now the prosecutor comes to you and now you're in court and they say you're guilty of murder, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail and your cell block guy, buddy, he's like eight feet tall and he looks mean with crooked eyes. What are you going to do then? And after you walk through that process, you're like, you know what, maybe I'm not going to murder them. Maybe I'm going to buy them coffee and say, God bless you. Confess your temptation before you have to confess your mistake. Because whatever you're fantasizing about, the reality of that is not as good as you think it is. Some of you had a fantasy and now you have 18 years of child support. Confess your temptation so you won't have to confess your sins. The Bible says, James, did somebody just snort? Give God praise. Amen. 1-14. through But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Here's what the enemy does. He plants a seed so he can reap a harvest. So what happened in that car? A seed of anger came forth, but a harvest of murder is what the enemy wants. What seed has been planted in you that you have to get that thing rooted out of your spirit because you will not have a harvest of sinful desire in your future? What do you got to get out of your spirit and say, Lord, you know what? The anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God and I need you to minister to my heart and make me whole and right. I don't know why I want to kill people, but I do, Lord. Get that seed out of your soul. Confess your temptation so you don't need to confess your sins. Number three, pray for self-awareness. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, cause these stones to turn to bread. The question that the enemy is tempting him in is the area of his identity. If you're the son of God, make this object that's not meant to feed you turn into something that can start feeding you. That was better than you got it. Y'all a little slow, but I'm going to let you catch up the rock is not meant to meet the need of your hunger but why don't you make that thing something that can fulfill your need why don't you make that relationship something that becomes your salvation why don't you make that job something that becomes your identity why don't you make that thing become something that fulfills your need it's not The problem is not that you have a need. The problem is that you're trying to perform to meet your own needs with objects that were not meant to meet your need because you forgot who you are in Christ Jesus. And when you realize that you're a son and daughter of God, you realize that there's nobody who can meet your internal needs like Jesus Christ, who is the way maker, the wonderful healer, the mighty counselor, the mighty God. The creator of the universe. And so he says, if you are the son of God, the moment the enemy tempts you to question your identity and you believe that you're less than, you'll start making less than decisions for your life. I want to give you uh, an example from a pastoral standpoint. I'm going to pick on me. I'm going to come back and pick on you. And then we're going to lift up Jesus. All right? Don't get mad when I pick on you because I picked on me first. I know the sacred position God has called me to as a pastor. And I know that the decisions I make impact my family, my wife, my kids, and anyone who has entrusted their faith in this house. I know that the consequences of my decisions have a rippling effect through people's trust and faith. Because a lot of people come to know Jesus. But before they meet Jesus, usually sometimes they meet me. And if there's an erosion in my character, it might complicate their journey and their perception of who God is. God has put gifts in ministry to be a reflection of his glory and a gift to the body, not a curse. So I understand that nobody expects me to be perfect. I understand that nobody expects me to be without sin. I know sometimes I accidentally cuss on the pulpit from time to time. But there is a certain level of expectation. There's a level of expectation. Don't be buying strippers. Don't be buying hookers. Don't be doing cocaine. Don't be taking the church's money and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and buying nice cars and, and, and laundering money. Don't be doing all that. There is a, come on, don't act like you don't have a certain level Don't act like you won't just walk up out of this church. Don't don't act like you won't start blogging about me tomorrow. There's a certain level of expectation because to whom much is given, much is required. And I know that my decisions are not just for me because I know that I'm not the target. I'm the weapon to the destruction of people's faith that the enemy wants to use. You're not the target. You're the weapon to everyone that God has connected to your life that the enemy wants to destroy. And you know how he's going to destroy people? Through you. And so here it is. As you come to understand, I want you to understand this is not just uh, me understanding who I am as a pastor. It's me understanding who I am as a son of God. And it's not just important for me, it's important for you. Because the decisions you make have impact in other people's lives. And what you do has impact and lasting impression on your children and on your children's children. Some of you are in therapy because people made decisions in different generations that still are following you now. What you do and how you do it impacts everybody that loves you. And so the enemy says, you're not worth anything. You don't impact anybody. And he destroys you, thereby harming other people. You're not making decisions for you. You're making decisions for others as well. And so there has to be a level of self-awareness. The Bible says that the prodigal son, he was in the hog pen But when he came to the end of himself, the Bible said when he came to himself, the greatest revelation that you're going to get is not about other people. I know some of you want to be Pentecostal and you want to prophesy and fix everybody else and you want to prophesy about everybody else. But sometimes God uses other people as props to show you what's wrong in you. And God is more interested on what's happening in you internally than what's happening with them. And so if you want a revelation, don't pray, uh, a, don't pray God show you about other people. Pray God show you about you. Pray God reveal the desires of your heart. Pray Pray. God, what's going on in here? Search me, O God. This is what Galatians 6.1 says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You which are spiritual, when other people fall, you don't become their judge. You don't become their superior. You don't look over them. But you which are spiritual, you have one job, to go and restore them. In the spirit of weakness, this is my favorite part, considering yourself lest you also be tempted by the same. This means God's not sending you to fix them. God's sending you to love them so he can fix you. Because there is no failure in this room that I'm not capable of. And there is no person in this room that is experiencing a failure that other people are not Uh, subject to I want to tell you this that the reason we go restore others is so we can consider ourselves. that's a great way to overcome temptation learn from other people's mistakes and let God empower you so you don't have to do the same thing don't go to them as a judge and don't come to them with a scripture be a scripture to them Don't come to them with a sermon and a message. Be a message to them. And love them like you're going to need that grace someday. Give them grace like it's you lying there in desperate need of Jesus. Because it just might be you someday where you need somebody to come pick you up when you're down and out. Consider yourself. For it is he who are, are the circumcision... We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Number four, have a predetermined plan. Have a plan ahead of time. Luke 4.4 says, Jesus answered Satan. This is what he says. It is written. Which means there's already established facts about this. It has already been spoken. There's an old saying that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Have a conviction and a predetermined plan of what already is. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Have a plan. Have some boundaries set in your life. Why take down a wall if you don't know the reason why the wall was there in the first place. And it says, hey, sometimes you remove that wall and a snake comes out and bites you. And you learn that some of those boundaries are actually meant for protection. And some of those things that have been established in your life are actually to protect you, not to hinder you and hold you back. Have a predetermined plan. David, King David, he had, he had a predetermined plan. His plan, First and Second Samuel, over nine times the scripture says... That David inquired of the Lord. When he wanted to go to war, you know what he did? He inquired of the Lord. When he needed to make a big decision, you know what he did? He inquired of the Lord. But in Samuel, there's one time he didn't inquire of the Lord. When he was about to go through his lust battle with Bathsheba. He didn't want to ask the Lord what he thought about that. Come on, neither do you. Like, Lord, can I do cocaine? No, you can't. (laughs) You know what? I'm just going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. So we'll see you later. He didn't inquire of the Lord when it came to, to Bathsheba. The scripture says that, David ends up in this position where he's on the roof where he shouldn't be. He's outside of his purpose and outside of his assignment. That's why it's so important that you know your purpose and you know your assignment because the enemy wants to get you operating outside of that thing. And when you're outside of that thing, you end up hurting more people than you thought or intended to hurt. And he ends up on the top of the roof where he sees Bathsheba. Now the Bible says it's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop on the rooftop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And I start thinking about his wife who the Bible says was resentful towards him, who saw him from a window and made fun of him and said, why are you dancing like that? You think you're all this and all that. And I start thinking, I wonder what was happening in the home that actually got him on the rooftop. Man, that was kind of good right there, but the husbands got real quiet. I wonder what's in the home that became so unsafe that made him go to the rooftop. Now, I'm not blaming wives, but I am saying this. Be a safe place in your home and don't run that man out. Actually open that door, make it smell good and say hello and give him a kiss. Okay, you ladies, are you too progressive. So men, be... It's a different generation. So men, be a safe place in that house. Oh, there you go. There you go. I see you. Because she'll run and start texting people and DMing people too. And she'll end up on a rooftop. Because what happens in the home often creates a void and need of fulfillment that we try to go fulfill other places. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. In Proverbs 11.14, for lack of guidance a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Have a predetermined plan. i got to have somebody I can call. You need Jesus and the power of his blood and his Holy Spirit and you need a godly community. And if you've had to do life by yourself and figure it out by yourself, that'll get you so far. But if you want to live a life that's overcoming and overcoming of temptation, you've got to have a trusted community who's not going to be a judge to you. But who's going to be able to hold that with you and help you journey and walk out of that thing and live a full and free life in the name of Jesus. Number five, I will close with this. Leave a space of grace. Leave a space of grace. Uh, I recently cut sugar out of my diet. You may have noticed in my physique. You don't have to say anything. I don't want to get prideful. But um, but I found this keto ice cream. And it kind of tastes like the real thing. So I'm like, how can I, how close can I, can I get to the like sugar? How far can I stretch to get close enough to sustain my appetite? I think a lot of us live like that. It's like, hey, I don't want to be wrong, but I want to walk that line. I'm not going to cross the line. Just a little sugar here and there. Some of you just want, give me a little sugar, just a little sugar. cup full of sugar, makes the medicine go down. Just a little sugar. Is it a cup or a teaspoon? A spoon full of sugar. And then You're like, we're not going to say amen until you get that right. <laughs> spoon full of sugar, makes the medicine go down. Just a little sugar. Just a little taste. And eventually you keep walking the line. Well, j- just a little bit. And keep compromising integrity and values and character and who God's called you to be. Just a little bit. Ah, just, just a little bit. Okay, look at I ain't preaching against alcohol right now. Some of you full-blown alcoholics from the past. And I don't believe you when you say, just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. It's like, nah, man. You don't need that. that, 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 that you don't need that. that. That's an enemy to your family and to your destiny. And you know... The area of your conscience, and you know the area that God is convicting you. You know what you can play with and what you can't play with. If you hold, the Bible says, if you get fire and you hold it on your lap, you're sure to get burnt. So whatever's fire to you, don't play with it. And everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has different shapes and sizes that pulls them the wrong way. Amen. Leave a space for grace. Genesis 39, 11 through 12, it says there was a handsome man named Joseph. And one day he went into the house to attend his duties to his uh, boss's wife. And none of the household servants was inside. That's already a problem. It was just him and her at the wrong place at the wrong time. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand. And ran out of the house. He's like, I got to get some space and I got to get some distance. The Bible says submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And here's the problem. Some of you keep on trying to resist the flesh. It doesn't say resist the flesh. It says resist the devil. So if it's spiritual, pray about it. But if it's flesh, run out of it. You run from flesh, but you pray about the spiritual things. You don't get close to it, and you draw boundaries, and you allow God to give you a space of grace. This is my final scripture, 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. For anyone that's living in condemnation and feel like a failure, and you feel like, man, I've just been through, through a lot uh, and I keep getting it wrong. Hey, there's no temptation common to man. And you're not the first one to fail. King David, he fell. You're not the last one to fail. There's no temptation that is not common to mankind. This is the part that we rest on. And God is faithful. Say it with my preaching voice. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will not let you be tempted by what you can bear. A lot of times people say, God's not going to put more on you than you can bear. That's not true in regards to pain because life's going to be on you and it's going to be more than you can bear. And you're going to need the grace of God in every season of your life. But when it comes to temptation, he's not going to put something in front of you that is stronger than what's internally inside of you. And he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit to internally stand that you won't be crushed by the temptation of this world. And the scripture says, but when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure and escape it. So even when... It's overwhelming and feels unbearable. He's like, it's not unbearable, but if you feel like it's unbearable, I'm going to provide another option. I'm going to provide a door, and I'm going to let you get out of this thing. And Jesus is our escape. That's why we're hidden in Christ Jesus. That's why we can trust that the righteous run into him and they are safe. He's a refuge in the time of trouble. He's a refuge in the shelter. And we can trust our God that he'll pull us out. And so as we stand, I declare this verse over you. Stand to your feet. Matthew six thirteen. I want you to raise your hands and repeat this after me. And I'm going to have... Dr. Brandon, come for a moment of ministry. But raise your hands and repeat this after me. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. One more time. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Come on, one more time. Give God a hand clap of praise. We thank you.